It's about halfway through the Maryland General Assembly, and nothing is slowing down. And since there's a plethora of bills in the committees and being discussed by members of the Frederick delegation, we're going to cover a couple different topics today, from transportation to the Kerwin Commission. I'm Heather Mangilio, and this is the In Session podcast, where we bring Annapolis to you. I'm joined now by Steve Bonnell in our Annapolis Bureau. Steve, how is Annapolis today? It's been uh, pretty interesting, Heather. I'm sitting in the Senate chamber room, which is a little interesting at this time of day. It's completely vacant. When I got here earlier today, obviously, it was the floor session that lasts an hour, and it's bustling with activity, and it's interesting how seven hours later, um, it's pretty dormant and quiet. So, <laughs> All right. Well, as I mentioned, there's a lot going on right now, so should we just jump right into it? You bet. All right. So I guess the first thing we should discuss is the transportation bill that might affect some people because it's dealing with 270. That's correct. Uh, Senator Ron Young has put in a bill that essentially is a study that would uh, cause MDOT to look at a study involving commuter buses from the Frederick area down to D.C. Um, when we initially reported this, uh, he was thinking about withdrawing the bill because he had heard from MDOT that uh, there was going to be a study that was running parallel to this that actually was is already occurring that will be done around May. Um, but after further consultation with MDOT, he realized that that uh, bill essentially, uh, or that study, I should say, is narrower in scope uh, in terms of looking at aspects of commuter buses. And I know his bill is looking at how park and ride stations kind of factor in all of this. That's an amendment that he's attaching. So after further consulting with MDOT, he's decided to move on uh, with his bill and see uh, if he can get it passed through the Senate and obviously the House of Delegates if it gets that far. So. And for those who don't know, MDOT is Maryland Department of Transportation. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so what would this bill do if it passes for those people who are commuters in Frederick County? Yeah, so it, if the bill passes, it basically would stipulate that MDOT look at commuter buses as a viable option uh, down and kind of commuter buses in designated lanes um, down to 70 um, and make it more efficient. There's been many uh, things on the table in terms of uh, discussing, you know, how to improve transportation from Frederick down to D.C. Right now, the monorail is being floated around, but the thing that to consider there is that, you know, the monorail, even though uh, right-of-way is kind of a positive in terms of you don't need as much right-of-way to, to construct that, that would take years and years to build and get all the permits and whatnot. So commuter buses are, you know, obviously using already built infrastructure, you know, lanes that are going to be there, especially depending on how the P3 develops. Um, and it remains to be seen. I mean, this seems to be a quick Band-Aid fix. Obviously, if you get a lot of people on buses and out of their cars, uh, that's kind of the idea in terms of using commuter buses as a model of transportation from Frederick down to the D.C. and even northern Virginia area. So, All right. Perfect. So, and this bill is currently... It's in committee right now? Uh, yeah, it's it's. I think it's waiting a report out of finance. That's when it, where it was heard. And uh, I think we should be expecting a report on that, you know, in the next week or so, frankly, because I actually, when I mentioned that we getting that clarifying information about uh, Young not drawing the bill, he sent uh, a letter to uh, kind of the committee or the finance committee's leadership saying, yeah, we need to we need this study since the other study that MDOT is currently doing uh, is, isn't as broad or, or is too narrow, I guess I should say, compared to what Young is proposing. So we're still waiting uh, kind of the finance committee's action. I know that's uh, Senator Feldman, who's the vice chair of the committee, 
uh, asked some questions about that initially about, you know, have we, he's in Montgomery County, so he deals with the 270 issue himself and his constituents. And he asked uh, during the initial hearing for the bill that I got to ask uh, Senator Young, have we not studied this before? And that's what's caused this kind of back and forth and uh, kind of caused the deliberations or rather discussions between uh, the Maryland Department of Transportation and Senator Young. So. All right, perfect. And for those who don't know, I mean, we should probably just really quickly walk through what happens with a bill. So once a bill is introduced, um, that goes for, a fir- that's a first reading. It then gets referred to a committee, like the finance committee that you were uh, talking about. There's also other ones that we've mentioned, um, health and go- government operations. Um, that's on the House side. There's uh, another one, another health related um, committee on the Senate side. And so they go through the committee and the committee will give it a referral um, saying what, or they'll say whether they pre, uh, liked the bill or didn't like the bill, essentially. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, no, that's the process. That's that's correct. And then it goes for a second read? Yeah, it goes to a second reading on the floor. Um, and that pretty much after that happens, uh, it's, you know, printed for third reader, as you'll hear from either the Speaker Jones or Senate President uh, Bill Ferguson. So what happens after the third uh, reader? After, after the second reader, um, it's printed for third reader. And in between that second reader, third reader, there might be amendments attached. And most of the debate you'll see on the floor will occur before that third reading vote, especially on contentious issues. But... Um, that's not to say that there won't be questions and deliberation on the Senate or House floor before third reader, but um, if anybody wants to kind of state their opinion about a certain piece of legislation, it's going to happen um, before that roll call vote on the third reader of any bill. And so once it's done with that third read, is that when it crosses over to the, the other chamber? If it passes, that's correct. It passes over the other chamber and it's referred to probably a likely or a like-minded or kind of a similar committee on the opposite chamber. And then it undergoes a similar process. Again, crossover day is in early March. I want to say it's around March 7th or 8th, but don't quote me on that exact date. It's around there. Um, that's where crossover date happens. And again, if your bill hasn't been passed on one chamber before it hits that date, I mean, you only got a month left of session and there are a lot of bills being filed down here. It just becomes exponentially more hard to get it passed through both chambers if you're not done one side of the chamber by that date. And what happens if you have cross-filed bills? Because there's a couple that we've mentioned that have a Senate version and a House version. So if they're cross-filed and they kind of pass, I imagine that they both pass on both sides of the chamber, there might be some, you know, legal tweaking to make sure that the bills are similar in scope, especially if they get amended in committees and whatnot. Um, But it definitely has a better chance if you cross-file because you're already starting both chambers at the beginning versus crossover day and sending it over the other chamber and trying to kind of uh, deal with the piece of legislation. You never know if you send if a bill in the Senate gets passed and passed over to the House of Delegates, it might get amended and changed to the point where the original sponsor in the opposite chamber might not uh, agree with those changes. Where if you have a cross file, you kind of are already uh, senators and delegates are working in both chambers to address a law or a p- potential law change, and hopefully by working more in tandem at the beginning of the session, it leads to a better bill. So. All right, perfect. Well, let's move on. Um, so we talked about something that affected 270. Now let's head up towards Pennsylvania to talk about Thermont. 
because there's a bill, I guess two bills that is aimed at thermal and solar energy. Right. Those bills pretty much work in tandem. Um, Basically what this bill would do is under the Clean Energy Jobs Act, which was passed last year, um, that requires a 14.5% mandate of solar power statewide by 2030. Now, the issue is Thermont has its own electrical uh, system, its own municipal electric uh, company, along with uh, four other municipalities in the state, including Hagerstown and Williamsport. And the issue is is that they don't have enough space. Uh, I caught up with Mayor John Kinnaird um, before the hearing last week, and they don't have the space to build solar arrays to meet that 14.5% mandate. They don't have the land because they have to annex more land um, to kind of get the area to put in this solar. And then the other flip side of this is if you can't build the solar arrays, you need to buy SRECs. And the value of those SRECs have gone up from roughly $10 early last year, and they've gone up from $10 to $60. So um, really, the the cost of these things, and when you're having to buy a lot of them to meet uh, those mandates, um, the f- number you need to know is that if this bill doesn't go through, Canard uh, said it could cost his town up to a quarter million dollars. And that, in the scheme of state budgets, that doesn't sound like a lot. But when you consider the fact that Thermo is only 6,600 residents, that becomes pretty real pretty quickly. So with that bill, um, how are the two bills? You mentioned there's one that specifically carves out uh, Thermont, and that's from Delegate Cox. How do the two bills work together? So that bill you just mentioned that carves out Thermont, uh, protects Thermont, and it's it's backed by the Frederick County delegation. In case certain municipalities, I think Easton is one of them, on the eastern shore, decide to go, go another route in addressing this issue, um, Delegate Cox had anticipated that, you know, there's been some opposition from the Chesapeake uh, Bay Foundation um, basically stating that this would erode, this bill erode the goals of the Clean Energy Jobs Act and kind of the mandates it sets. So he wanted to get another bill in that kind of dictates Frederick County only municipalities, which uh, equals Thermont, because that's the only one under this municipal electric unit. Um, and I want to kind of backtrack because the reason it's important, those are important, is he wants to include those with the electric co-ops in the state. And when the bills were in last year, the Clean Energy Jobs Act, it capped the solar amounts at 2.5% for those electric co-ops. And it would inc- so what uh, Cox's proposal would do is basically include all these uh, municipal electric areas, including Thermont, into that 2.5% cap, which just makes this kind of shift to renewable energy, specifically solar, more manageable for municipalities like Thermont. All right, perfect. Well, I'm sure you'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, should we talk to about concealed carry? Yeah, so this is a bill that Senator Ron Young has put forth that basically will require more training uh, for those with concealed carry permits. It would basically require, after you get your initial permit, each year uh, two days of additional training, which would equate roughly to, from my estimation, what I heard at the bill hearing, eight to ten hours total per year. Um, it exempts current law enforcement officers, which is important to note because obviously they already have a lot of training and requirements as part of their jobs. Um, There's a lot of opposition at the bill hearing last week. Uh, a lot of uh, gun rights advocates uh, said that, you know, there's already measures in place uh, through the NRA or through the Maryland State Rifle and Pistol Association 
uh, to require training. Um, for instance, Mike Doherty, who's the chairman of the State Rifle and Pistol Association, said, you know, as part of our membership, we strongly urge, um, you know, people in our group to do the training and know how to use uh, a firearm and who have these concealed carry permits. Um, and the phrase I kept hearing Friday uh, when the hearing was is that, uh, you know, this is just a government mandate that we don't feel is necessary. And if you're going to require it, you're going to need to to pay for it. Um, and the fiscal note attached to it was hundreds of thousands of dollars that uh, would, it would that would cost the state in the next fiscal year. Uh, so it's definitely something they pointed to is like you don't want to you know, if you're going to do this, it's going to cost the state a lot of money. Um, when really, you know, law-abiding citizens already go through the training and whatnot that is needed. Um, so that's basically a lot of the uh, opposition to the bill. I will say the bill had a local uh, supporter, Joe Vince, who's a professor at Mount St. Mary's uh, University. Uh, Vince is, has an interesting background. He's in the AFT or is a former uh, high senior ranking official in AFT, which is the Alcohol, Firearms, and Tobacco Bureau. Uh, and essentially, he did a study with two other Mount professors stating that, uh, looking at data from other law enforcement agencies in the region and country, which pretty much showed that the, you know, even though officer, even law force, enforcement officers get a lot of training, uh, the data bears out that they're not that accurate, especially when you take into account that when you're reacting to high-stress situations where you might have to fire uh, your gun, um, you're not that accurate um, compared to, you know, you can train on a, a range all day, but, you know, you, can, you're not, you, you can't replicate the real-life uh, events that happen when you're on the job patrolling or whatever events might happen. Um, so that's kind of one of the things the study highlighted, um, and it's pretty. It was a pretty exhaustive study done by Vince and the other two professors up there, and that's kind of the flip side. And he was definitely supportive of kind of Young's efforts in this bill. All right, perfect. Well, I'm sure that bill is something you'll be following again too, because that is co- being uh, brought by Senator Young. But to to leapfrog off that, Senator Huff poses it. He thinks it's going to be a burden uh, if it's passed to people who have jobs that require concealed carry, like armored car drivers or security guards. So he just doesn't feel that the training is necessary. Well, I guess it's that time uh, when we should discuss Kerwin, which is probably what's on most people's minds right now. Right. Yeah. So I've been working kind of the last two weeks-ish kind of tracking around, you know, leadership in the House and Senate and our local delegation and even some of our local council members. So I don't want to reveal or tip off too much of my hand of what's going to be in this piece, but uh, I'm just getting a sense of where people stand on this proposal. There was kind of a rally on Monday morning, which was in support of the bill. A lot of uh, students from Baltimore City and then, you know, a lot of teachers and advocates who believe that the bill, (coughs) excuse me, is very important that it gets passed. It's a Senate bill, 1000 House bill. 1300. It's uh, the blueprint for Maryland's future. It's basically this 10-year plan that really revamps how we look at uh, education statewide. It looks at increasing teacher salaries. It looks at teacher training. It looks at career and VOTEC for students. It looks at pre-K universally. It also looks at adding accountability measures, which makes sure if we move forward and kind of pass these proposals that there's accountability that the things that are set out in the bill are getting done. 
um, which is a complaint I've heard from many uh, people down here about how when the Thorin Commission was kind of instituted years ago that there weren't enough accountability measures, and that's why some money was kind of pulled back. And so the, the story that I'm doing, and I want to uh, mention Katrina Pereira because she's kind of talked to the Board of Education and our local superintendent and some others, people perhaps, about how this is going to impact us. But the bill is just kind of a, a broad, or I should say the story we're working on is kind of a broad uh, look at you know, where do our local delegates, senators, um, Senate leadership, House leadership, where do they stand on the bill? Where do they feel the most important aspects of the bill are? Um, why do they oppose it? Because I've definitely heard um, some oppose it. Why do they like it? Why is it important? How are we going to pay for it? That's the question I'm sure every journalist down here has because, you know, there's sports gambling and, you know, there's some source of revenue that have been kind of laid out. But, you know, when the fiscal note comes in for the bill and it's nearly $4 billion per year uh, between the state and local share, you have to figure out how to pay for it. And that's obviously something a lot of people are keeping their eyes on. And there's also the the concern that even as local jurisdictions like us, like I've heard from the local level, that we can pay our local share. But there's some local jurisdictions that under the bill have to pay considerably more money. Uh, it comes to mind, you know, Baltimore City, Prince George's County, Caroline County. Um, some jurisdictions have to put up a lot more money than others. And there's the concern that, you know, we don't want the jurisdictions like us who have been putting in our local share to pay uh, – the state tax share for those other jurisdictions that might not have been allocating their money in the, the smartest way. So it's going to be an interesting debate over the next couple of weeks. Um, there's still a lot of, even though I've done a lot of reporting and learned a lot, um, there's still a lot of unanswered questions, uh, coincidentally. Well, and people can read your story with Katrina in the Frederick News Post, and that's coming out this weekend? Yeah, that's when we're uh, planning for it, so yes. Well, is there anything else, that, I mean, without giving too much away from what you're going to be reporting on, anything else that we should know about Kerwin? I think the main thing uh, to consider, and that kept popping up, is how are we going to fund it? Because... There are certain things that are being flown around, and you'll read in the story. There's been uh, digital taxation, you know, digital online advertising. But some feel that that's not going to be enough revenue to make up for the gap between the revenue sources that have been identified and ones that need to be found to kind of make this gap. Uh, there's also been uh, talk about combined reporting, which would require that corporations uh, essentially pay more of their fair share of uh, taxes in the state. Um, there's been some disagreement, and you'll read about that, about if that's the way to go. Um, there's, a, you know, since corporations report or earn a lot of money, that that could be a viable revenue source. And then the last thing I kind of heard a lot about is taxations on services. So that could be accountants, mechanics, uh, things along those lines. Um, but, but there's been debate about that, about if you want any, even though it's not a mandatory tax, you know, your sales income and property tax, uh, there's some that, you know, don't feel that essentially that those taxes, even though they're on services, are merited because um, they're just opposed to kind of putting taxes on common resources that many citizens need. So that's that's kind of one of the main uh, portions of the reporting I've done, talking to a bunch of people about that, just kind of their perspective. But uh, that is just kind of one sliver of what the story will be about come this weekend. All right. And I know that we usually end with a, a couple of fun notes, and I know you have one, but I do want to share a quick fun note about the current commission, which is that I learned this week that it was actually named after someone 
and not just um, a name that was given to this. I did not realize that there was actually a person named Kerwin, yeah, which is ironically <laughs> the a different spelling, but the name of my uh, uni- my alma mater's uh, former president. Right, um, right. He uh, was Kerwin. Doctor K E R. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doctor Brett Kerwin um, is kind of the namesake of this bill. It's been interesting to watch him. There was a, a joint hearing involving four committees, two House and two Senate committees, Monday on the bill and. He's in his 80s, but he's very energetic. Um, despite you know, he, he, no matter what you think about uh, the bill itself, uh, you can definitely tell he's passionate about that, and definitely as many delegates and senators were asking him questions, both critical and both supportive of the bill. Um, they definitely they were all thanking him for his service. This commission, the Kerwin Commission, took three years out of its uh, the volunteers took three years out of their time to kind of help draft this bill. And I think the General Assembly is generally very appreciative of the work that went into it, no matter where they stand on the current proposal. Well, I guess it's that time of the podcast to actually talk about some fun um, fun things that happened in Annapolis. And not that all this bill talk is in, you know, exceedingly uh, enjoy Invigorating. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that's uh, a good word. <laughs> so what is something that was fun that happened this week? So I was in the Monday night session, and Delegate Haven Shoemaker, who's from Carroll County, um, kind of went up to the speaker's desk and did the Lincoln's address. He had the full top hat and beard routine, but he gave a good speech about how he came from humble be- uh, beginnings in a trailer park and how uh, President Lincoln, the first Republican president, uh, Shoemaker's a Republican from Carroll County, how they both, you know, the importance of, you know, if you work hard and are an honest man, um, and you can make it. And I think a lot of people took that to heart. Um, he got a really good uh, round of applause after his speech ended. And uh, his words, you know, he, it was a very nice speech and delivery. And that's just something that stuck out for me. Uh, he's, 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 uh, he, one of the things he said is he kept saying is to not take yourself too seriously and to be able to joke at yourself. And I know Heather, you knowing me that I, I tend to do that and maybe to be a too, too much of an extent from time to time, but I definitely sympathize uh, with that point when uh, Haven made that, uh, Monday night. Well, and I think it's funny because I, I saw this picture cause you tweeted it out. Um, but I know Haven Shoemaker from a different perspective, which is that, I used to cover him in Carroll County, um, and he is also on his, like, outside of being in the session, which is not always a full-time job, um, he's a defense attorney, and he I actually covered him when he jumped pro bono, I believe, on a murder case that I was following. Yeah, he kind of tied that in because I think uh, he said that uh, President Lincoln uh, was trying uh, or was pr- involved in some murder cases, and he said at one point, like, and let me not, let me tell you, those are not easy to be involved in, which got a few uh, chuckles and laughs out of the, the house uh, Monday night. All right, well, to leave um, Delegate Shoemaker behind, um, I know that you also have another fun fact that happened this week. Yeah, this is a funny little anecdote. So we actually had a local, or not local, but uh, one of the state's Boy Scout troops come in, and we talked to them in the press pit, which is kind of in the lower level of the state house building, just about journalism and whatnot. And uh, later during the session, uh, Eric Lutke, the House Majority Leader, um, stood up, and this was at the point where everyone was making general announcements, and he said to the General Assembly, now I know all you guys know that one of my main jobs on this earth is to, as a parent to embarrass the heck out of my children. And he uh, said, he pointed, so Colin, one of my sons is up in the, the balcony there. He's 
and just give them a, a, immediately um everyone went into a rousing applause probably the biggest applause of the night and you could just see colin kind of like slinkering in the corner like so lukey obviously got his job done but it was it was a nice heartfelt moment and it kind of it, it, it lessened kind of the tension or not tension, but it just is like a lighthearted moment outside of the day to day things that we do here in Annapolis. So I very much appreciate that. And it was just funny because that was definitely like I was surprised to the extent as soon as he said, you know, it's one of my jobs to embarrass uh, my children mm-hmm. as much as possible that the, the the room just erupted frankly so well yay for for embarrassing children uh and yay for lincoln addresses dressed as lincoln um steve i think that's good for today um anything else that we should know about annapolis uh i didn't just keep an eye on that kerwin story that's coming out there's a lot of bills uh that are upcoming as well you know the bills are just seem the stack seems to get larger and larger the more into session we go um, so just keep an eye out on whatever I'll be tracking, but, uh, you know, that's about all I have for today, I guess. So. All right. Perfect. Well, we'll let you go catch that shuttle and then we'll talk to you next week. Heather, thanks as always. In Session is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and Steve Bunnell from Annapolis. It's edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next week.